I'm so excited to be with you today because I am going to preach on a topic that next to the topic of salvation gives me more joy than any other topic. Uh, salvation gives me the most joy, just studying the depths of our salvation. Next to that is the sovereignty of God, and that is a source of comfort and a source of joy. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the, the central truth of Scripture that you are the sovereign ruler of the universe, and uh, coupled with all the, the attributes that we know about you, brings the believer tremendous joy and comfort and, and trust in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So a, a central teaching of Scripture is the sovereignty of God. We understand that, right? He's, he's the creator God who rules over the whole universe. Nothing can successfully stop any act or event or design or purpose that God intends. Nothing can stop it. When he intends to bring something about, it's going to come about, and you can't stop it. He's the sovereign king of the universe. As I said, I, I find that comforting. Um, all, all people do not find that comforting. There are people who do not. But listen to Charles Spurgeon. I'm going to read a long quote by him on the sovereignty of God. It's one of my favorites of his. He says, There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions and that sovereignty overrules them and that sovereignty will sanctify them all, meaning sanctify all the afflictions. There is nothing for which the children ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne. On the other hand, there is no doctrine more hated by worldlings, no truth of which they have made such a football as the great stupendous, but yet most certain doctrine of the sovereignty of the infinite Jehovah. And so he rejoices in the sovereignty of God and says the world hates it. And he goes on to say this about the world's view of God's sovereignty. Listen to this. And this is so true today. Man will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. They will allow him to be in his workshop to fashion worlds and to make stars. They will allow him to be in his almonry, whatever that is. I didn't look it up. Somebody tell me what it is after the service. To dispense his alms and bestow his bounties. They will allow him to sustain the earth and to bear up the pillars thereof, or the light, the lamps of heaven, or rule the waves of the ever-moving ocean. And listen to this. But when God ascends his throne, his creatures gnash their teeth. Is that not true? And so man hasn't changed and for some, the doctrine of sovereignty is a source of tremendous comfort. For others, it's a hated doctrine. And God is creator. We, we've established that. By this I mean that he decreed and willed that the universe and everything in it exists. 
For example, Psalm 115, verse number three says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 135, verse number six, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Uh, I wish I could do all that I please, right? Whatever the Lord, I'm sorry, for, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And then 1 Corinthians 8, 6, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. God is the creator God. Now it stands to reason that whoever creates something has the control over it as well, right? We understand that. Well, if you build a house, you can paint the walls of that house any color you want, can't you? Whatever color just satisfies your fancy, you can do because it's your house. You can do with it whatever you want. And any God who can create the universe with just a word and out of the counsel of his will, then by definition is unstoppable. You cannot stop the creator God. He can do anything he wants. Nothing can thwart or stop God's purposes. Now, when you start thinking that way, it makes us thankful that God is good, doesn't it? Because we are very familiar with the statement that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? But that is not true of our God because our God is good. When all is said and done, Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Not one purpose of God can be thwarted. Daniel 4.35 states, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? In other words, if all of humanity, all eight billion of us, decided to get together and rebel against God, the Bible says that in all of our earthly might, we are accounted as nothing to that God. Nothing at all. All the armies of the world are no more than the dust that settles on a scale and doesn't move the scale whatsoever. God is that powerful. Now here's a, here's a positive way of, of stating that he will accomplish his will. He says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. And then he goes on to say, talking about his own goodness, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. And so here in Isaiah chapter 46, he's talking about his good purpose for Israel. And he says, my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Israel, it's bleak right now. Isaiah was a pre-exilic prophet, meaning he was prophesying before the exile. And he said to Israel, it's going to get really bad for you. 
but I have good purposes for you, and nothing will thwart my purpose. My counsel will stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. There's nothing that he purposes that he does not accomplish. Nothing can stop God, and he does it all. Now, these are general statements, aren't they? I'm flying at 35,000 feet right now on the sovereignty of God. In the broad sweep of things, we understand them, we assent to them, and believe them. But it does get difficult for us. And do you know where it gets difficult for us? It gets difficult in applying it to our lives and understanding the extent of God's sovereignty. It's one thing to say God rules the universe, and it's quite another thing to say uh, that God is in control of everything, including random events. God is sovereign over seemingly random events. I have more than a, a few times run over a screw or a nail and gotten a hole in my tire. And every single time I pull over, I don't get frustrated, but I simply say, Lord, I don't know why you didn't allow me to avoid this one little screw, but it was in your purpose. Last year, I'll, I'll tell this story. I say last year, earlier this year, um, uh, I, I may have told this story. I can't remember public, if I've told it publicly or not. If I have, forgive me. But uh, we, we arrived in Mesa in February, and we were there on, I don't know what day we arrived, but the third day that we were there, I think it was on a Saturday, I'm driving, there are seven lanes in this road, seven lanes going through Mesa, Okay. And I'm getting into the turn lane, and out of the blue, a homeless guy on the bicycle hits the side of my truck. <laughs> $2,000 worth of damage, just like that. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, you're sovereign over everything, even a homeless guy running into the side of my truck. I, I was the only guy in the seven lanes near, near the guy. He was circling in the lane beside me. He looked at me as I was going by and still ran into the side of my truck. I have no idea. But God is random, uh, sovereign over that. It says the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. So something so random as rolling dice or casting a lot is in God's control. I remember when I was a child, I rode my bicycle all over the place. And occasionally I would have a bug fly into my mouth or into my eye. And God is sovereign over random events such as bugs hitting you in the eye when you're riding your bicycle. Do you believe that? Because God says it's true. I'm God over seemingly random events. But God's sovereign over nature. He's sovereign over all of nature. He does whatever he pleases. Psalm 135, verse number six says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas, in all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds to rise at the end of the earth, who makes the lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. God's in control of the weather. He's in control of all nature. Now the weathermen would have you believe that they know what's going on. They can't even predict what's going on the next day. And yet they're trying to tell us what's gonna happen to our world in 25 years or something like that. I remember in Memphis, we had this um, 
we had this weatherman. His first name was Dave. Dave was a revered weatherman in Memphis. He, he was a weatherman his whole life in Memphis, Tennessee. And if you want to know what the weather was, you watch. I think he was on NBC because Dave knew the weather, except that he didn't. One Friday, he predicted that the next day was going to be a sunny and beautiful day, and there was a family who had a giant outdoor wedding, and it thunderstormed almost right on that section of Memphis and ruined the whole wedding. The guy met Dave outside the weather station the next week and punched him in the face. Okay? The weatherman. Can't even control the weather, but God says, I'm in control of the weather. Think about Matthew 8 and verse number 27. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? When Jesus was in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and the disciples were fearful for their life, Jesus wasn't because he's in control of the weather, isn't he? He's in control of it all. Farmers like to complain about the weather. Well, God created that weather. <laughs> Get a different occupation. <laughs> I'm joking, okay? That's just their favorite thing to do. I always tease the farmers in our church in Memphis about, or in, uh, in northern Wisconsin about complaining about the weather. God is sovereign over all the animals. He says, Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? God's in control of even the smallest of the animals. Jesus claims sovereignty over all animal life. That means that that squirrel that chews a hole in your siding, God's sovereign over that little dude. He's sovereign over all the animals. He's sovereign over everything that happens in the world in animal life. God is in control of it, and he is sovereign over it. God is sovereign over the nations. And so we go from the smallest of the animals, a sparrow, to a um, um, macro view, which is the nation's. This is the other end of the magnitude of spectrum. The Bible says, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. That's 2 Chronicles 20 in verse number 6. The most powerful of the nations are under the sovereign hand of the Lord. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. In other words, no nation does anything that does not fall under God's purpose, even nations whose official stance is atheism. Everything they do, whether it's North Korea or China or Russia or what we would consider good nations like the United States and England and all those other nations, whatever they are, Axis or allies, the fact of the matter is God is sovereign over what those nations do and everything that they do, even the evil regimes, falls under God's purpose. Now that's hard to swallow sometimes, isn't it? It really is. And we're going to get into that a little bit, but we don't have that much time to unpack that. But God is sovereign also over human decisions. He is sovereign over every single human decision. Let that sink in. You cannot do anything outside of God's will. 
Now, I'm not talking about his um, will expressed in our wanting us to be sanctified and that sort of thing. I'm talking about his decretive will, the will that if something happens, God sovereignly ordained it to happen. And that includes decisions by humans. We have all kinds of thinking that we do, but in the end, the Lord decides. So when you're standing at that counter and you're trying to decide, am I going to have the Big Mac or am I going to have the salad, God's sovereign over that decision. Does McDonald's sell salads? I haven't been there forever. Um, But look at the Bible. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16.1. Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it's purpose of the Lord that will stand. It is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You can make any decision you want, but the purpose of the Lord stands. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God is sovereign over every single decision by every single person that has ever existed and ever will exist in the world. We serve an amazing God, don't we? Well, that brings up then another question. That brings up the question, well, what about pain and suffering and, and, and death and, and evil? And there are some truly evil people in this world, and they make other people suffer. And this is a, this is a difficult truth. Some of you have suffered at the hand of people who should have protected you. Maybe when you were a child, a parent or step-parent who should have protected you caused you to suffer. Or maybe your spouse who, who uh, promised to love you on your wedding day has made you to suffer as well. And we could go on and on and on. People that are supposed to protect and bring us joy, bring us suffering. There are biblical examples of God's people suffering at the hand of those who should be their protector. And even in these deeds, God is sovereign and he's working through the the evil deeds of people. Now that's stopping short of saying that God causes evil because I would never say that. And that's a whole different sermon that I won't be able to get to today. But let us just consider one example, and there are many that we could consider, but we'll just give you one because I think this gets closest to where we live. Do you remember Joseph and his brothers? Joseph was hated by his brothers. His story begins, by the way, in Genesis 37. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. How many of them were there? There were 10 of them and one of him. Remember that? And, and 10 older brothers hated Joseph. Couldn't speak any kind of peace to, the, to him. That had to be a great Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> one day, they had an opportunity. They threw him in a pit, and they were going to kill him. But one of the brothers talked sense in their heads. And they decided not to kill him, but rather, hey, we'll just sell him into slavery. And so he was sold to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and he lived as a slave in Egypt. That was a start, and you think that's low, but it gets worse. 
He was lied about in Egypt and he was thrown into prison. And the Bible says this is not the, the, the prisons that the rich and famous go to in the United States. It says that the Psalms say that he suffered in stocks and chains and it hurt his feet. The Bible is, is clear. And, and so, but in his providence, the Bible says that the good hand of the Lord was on him and he became the most, second most powerful man in Egypt. And we know that he saved the lives of his families. And his brothers suffered from guilt from that event their whole life. And after his father died, thinking that he was going to heap revenge upon them, they came begging for their lives and begging for his favors. And this is what he told them. He said this, As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so the very same evil intention, somebody's evil intent, is used for good. I've read a number of biographies of people who've been thrown into prison camps, whether they're in China or whether World War II prison camps of the Nazis, and that suffering and that evil event was used for the salvation of many, many people in those prison camps. God intends to forget. Paul said that I'm, I'm in these chains and yet the word is going forth in the Praetorium Guard with great power. That's the kind of God that we serve. And so God is the ultimate sovereign, but there's another God that the Bible mentions, small g God. He's the God of this world, Satan. And Satan's very powerful but God is sovereign even over Satan, meaning that all the evil that Satan does is governed by God for his wise and holy purposes. And behind everything that is bad or evil in this world is the power of Satan. Satan is the cause of evil in this world. The devil means for things for our harm, but God intends to use Satan's evil for our good in his glory. And that is why Paul says in Ephesians 6, in verse number 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All of these rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers, they're all um, spiritual beings. None of these things are they talking about governments. The evil things that you see governments do and the evil legislation that you see governments pass, even the ones in our country, even those evil things, the root cause is a spiritual condition. And we're fighting against the evil of Satan. And I have people from time to time take me to task on this issue. Why aren't you more political? Why don't you stand up against these issues? Because these presenting issues are not ultimate issues. Ultimate issues is that we aren't wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against political policy or social things. We're wrestling against genuinely evil beings in control of these institutions. And so... Satan causes the persecution of Christians. 
1 Peter 5 tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion trying to devour believers. And so the sufferings of persecution are like the jaws of a satanic lion trying to consume and destroy the faith of believers in Christ. And when Satan crushes Christians in the jaws of their own private calvary, God does govern for their good in the life of his precious child. Even in the midst of that crushing persecution of Satan, the jaws of a lion, he's nothing to play around with. God is still doing something for good. We will suffer. And if he, and if, oh, let me pause right there and recollect my thoughts. If God ordains that we will suffer, we will suffer. And if God ordains that we do not suffer for doing good, we will not. The lion does not have the last day. God does. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? It is. It's so wonderful. And so Satan is God is sovereign over Satan when he persecutes Christians. He's sovereign over Satan when Satan uh, causes natural disasters. Did you know he can cause natural disasters? Bible's abundantly clear. God is sovereign over that, but Satan causes it. We know the story of Job, right? We know the story how that God turned Job over to the power of Satan to do everything to, but kill him. The result was two human atrocities, and two natural disasters. One of the disasters is reported to Job in verse number 16 of chapter number 1. The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Here we have a natural disaster caused by Satan. Satan can control the weather. There are other examples, but that's just one. Amazing, isn't it? But God is sovereign over Satan when Satan causes natural disasters. God is sovereign over Satan when Satan causes sickness. The Bible vividly recounts that Satan can cause disease. Let me give you one passage of Scripture. Acts 10, 38 says that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The devil oppressed people with sickness. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus finds a woman who had been bent over and unable to stand up straight for 18 years. Jesus allowed Satan to have dominion over that woman's health. He heals her on the Sabbath. And in response to the criticism of the synagogue ruler, he says, Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on Sabbath day? Satan caused it. There's no doubt that Satan causes much disease in people's lives. Now, why would he do that? Why would he do that? This is, this is not in my sermon text, but I just I need to hit this. Because Satan's purpose is to sift people. If you are not in Christ, when hard times come your way, hard times will draw you away from Christ. You will reject Christ. 
If you are in Christ, if you're a genuine believer, the hard times that Satan brings your way causes you to run to Christ. Where else can I go, Lord? You have the words of life, right? But God's sovereignty is our joy. Now, I want you to turn to passages of Scripture. You didn't think I was going to make you turn anywhere, did you? I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. God's sovereignty is our joy. And I want to show you how God's sovereignty gives us joy. Let's turn to a favorite passage of Scripture, Romans 8, and verse number 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son and gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And there is the source of the believer's joy in difficult times, right? When we are suffering through circumstances that seem utterly pointless, painful, evil, this promise gives us hope. People have held fast to the all things and believe the word of God. And then they believe that this terrible thing, this seemingly pointless thing, will turn out for my good because God said so. John Piper, I read this years ago. John Piper likes to teach uh, children the following thing. Ready? It's a little rhyme. He says to children, when things go, don't go the way they should, God always makes them turn for good. And that is so true. But I want you to notice two truths from Romans 8, 28 through 32. First of all, this promise is for certain people. God does not say that all things work together for good for everybody. He doesn't say that. The promise is that God will turn all things for good is not true in everybody's case. There are two things that need to be true for this promise to apply for you. So this is a conditional promise. One is that you love God. And the other is that you are called according to his purpose. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. What? To those who love God, one. And number two, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so Paul says, in effect... If you don't love God, you can't claim this promise. If you are not called according to his purpose, you can't claim this promise. Or to put it another way, for the per person who does not love God and is not called according to his purpose, final optimism is foolish and out of place. As a matter of fact, if you don't love God and you're not called according to his purpose, Pessimism is the exact right state of mind for those who do not love God and not call it according to his purpose. Things are not going to work together for their good. They're going to work for their harm. And people innately know that. All you have to do is see what the predictions about the future of our world is. 
All you have to do is watch futuristic movies. There is not one futuristic movie that you watch where the world is not a mess. And you can go all the way back to Star Wars, or even before Star Wars, Star Trek probably, right? Star Wars, and you got the force. May the force be with you. But the problem is the force can be used by evil, and so you have the empire, right? The forces of the empire, and, and they are in control of everything. People innately know that it's not going to turn out good. That's why we have the wild predictions that, you know, in reality, this world should have been gone about 10 years ago, according to Al Gore, right? And I'm not mocking him. What I'm saying is, that's the natural outlook for somebody who does not know God. Pessimism is the right state of mind. I want you to know something else. Not only is this promise for those who love God, but the promise doesn't say that everything is good. It doesn't say all good things. It says all things, including the bad things. In fact, if you look at the context of Romans 8, 28, it's an encouragement because the prospect of the Christ life on this earth is bleak. Life in Christ on this earth is bleak. Earlier in, uh, in, in the chapter, chapter 8, in verse number 17, Paul said, we will be glorified with Christ if we suffer with him. Verse number 18 says that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Verse number 20 says the creation, including us, is subjected to futility. Verse number 21 says the creation is in bondage to decay. Verse number 23 says that even spirit-filled Christians groan with the fallen creation awaiting our redemption, the redemption of our weak, sick dying bodies. And verse number 24 says that we have been saved in hope. And you can't see hope, otherwise it wouldn't be hope. And so most of our salvation is invisible and in the future. Isn't that wonderful to know? And so pessimism is the accurate order of the day. This whole creation, the Bible says, groans. And I'll say another thing too. The Bible is very clear that Jesus conquered evil by suffering. Didn't he? Satan was defeated in the suffering of Christ and our life is no different. Satan is defeated when we suffer and we throw ourselves to the mercies of Christ. And we hope in him and glorify him. Now, I want to close with some wonderful expectations. What do we do in light of the sovereignty of God? Well, number one, we stand in awe of the authority and the power of God, don't we? He who spoke creation with a word. I was talking with uh, Randy, I think it was two weeks ago now, I can't remember Randy, and he was, Randy likes cold weather, he loved Alaska, and he talked about being up near the glaciers when the glaciers were calving, and he said the, the crack, the loud crack of that ice as big chunks of ice would fall off these massive glaciers, and I think he said some of them are over four or 500 feet high, the faces of these glaciers. That, in all its massive power, is nothing compared to the power of Almighty God who created it all. And so we stand in awe of him. Number two, we marvel at our salvation. What do we marvel at in our salvation? We marvel that God bought it, that God wrought it, 
and with sovereign power, and we are not our own. We are God's, and so we marvel at our salvation that he reached down from heaven and picked a puny little human being named Jared, and you stick your name in there, a nobody, and he just, it was his sovereign pleasure to desire to save us, and so he sent Jesus to die, and he, he made it all happen, and he gave the word, and we respond to the word, and we're saved. Isn't that awesome? So we marvel at our salvation. Let us be bold, number three, at the throne of grace, knowing that our prayers for the most difficult things can be answered because nothing, nothing, nothing is too hard for the Lord. He can do all things. He's the sovereign creator of the universe. All things that he desires, he does. And so we pray, and prayer is the means by which he accomplishes his purpose. Prayer changes things. He's very clear about that. Let me give you one last one. Let us be calm in these tumultuous days because the victory belongs to the Lord and no purposes that he he will to accomplish can be stopped. And we can look at our nation and the nations around us and it just feels like they're all falling apart. The world's falling apart and we can be calm and we can be collected and we can be at peace because God, our God reigns and he's unstoppable. Isn't that wonderful? I want to leave you with this verse. We already read it. If God is for us, who can be against us. And the God that is for us created this world and he has authority over this world and everything that he wills will happen. Everything that he wants, intends to accomplish will be accomplished. And so read your Bibles. Read your Bibles and and revel in the promises of God and the hope that God instills in us because if God is for us, It doesn't matter who's against us because God is for us. Amen? Lord, we thank you for the sovereignty of God. Admittedly, there are so many events in this world, in our lives, that we we can't see the purpose to them. We don't understand them, and they feel wrong, mainly because a lot of them are wrong. But Lord... You are the sovereign, good and sovereign God of the universe. And I pray for those today, and I know, looking at people out here, almost every single one of them have some kind of problem that's bothering them in their heart. And I pray that you will help them to turn to you and receive joy, knowing that you're the sovereign Lord who knows them, who loves them, and is for them. And so therefore, nothing can be against them. In Christ's name we pray, amen.